like show business, like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing. Everything that traffic will allow. No way could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow. There's no people like show people. They smile when they are low. Yesterday they told you you would not go far. That night you open and there you are. Next day on your dressing room they make up the props, the audience that lifts you when you're down, the headaches, the heartaches, the backaches, the flops, the sheriff who escorts you out of town, the opening when your heart beats like a drum, the closing when the customers don't come. word before the show has started that your favorite uncle died at dawn and top of that your part i have parted you're broken hearted but you go on there's no people like show people they smile when they are long even with a turkey that you know Well, hello and welcome to this edition of the KKFI Arts Magazine Show. I'm Michael Hogue, your host. Welcome to the program today on this Monday here in the city. As you listen right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, your community radio station right here in Kansas City. I'm excited. I've been reading up about this man. I met him, oh, it was probably a year ago, maybe longer ago here. He was on the uh, Art Speak Radio program right. with our friend Maria, yes. on, which is on Wednesdays at noon if you want to tune in. And I thought, well, he might make a good guest for me someday if I can get him to do it. Maria has referred to him as a Renaissance man. Oh, thank you, Maria. <laughs> I'm humbled by that, yes. And, uh, oh, he, he's so many things. Let me let me. Tell me them you. all, really. Tell me them all so I can have them listed and supplement my ego. <laughs> he is an artist, and we'll talk about that. He is an author, we'll talk about that. He's also a performer, a voice performer, has written several books. He also teaches the Shawnee Mission School District, the Westport School of Art, the Kansas City Art Institute, and I, I could go on here for a while and... and he probably wants me to. Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're going to talk. He's a very interesting man. He's met some famous people. He has stories. See, this is the kind of thing I like. Oh, great. I, I like stories with interesting people, and I like to talk to interesting people about things they're interested in. I have them. the stories, buddy, I'll tell you. Okay. Yeah. Well, we want to hear them. Okay. Boy, 
How did it start for Rick Stacy? These are unusual occupations. Most people don't have occupations like this, but uh, you do, and you have several interesting <laughs> occupations. How did it all begin for you? Well, it started, the genesis of all this is when I was a little kid in the halcyon days of the 1950s TV era, those golden days, I was glued to those little round picture tubes. And I'm taking you way back now, buddy, over on 9th Street, 9th and Prospect, in a third-story brownstone. And I would absorb everything. Now, what I'm saying, what I mean by that is stories and storytelling, because I think we all are inherently storytellers. So I would absorb that on the occasions that I would watch cartoons, and the uh, uh, cartoonists that rendered them would come on TV, like on Mickey Mouse Club, there was a, a, an artist, his name was Roy, and he was a Mouseketeer. He's probably 55 years old, you know, big Mouseketeer. And he was always silent, but he drew. I called him Silent Roy. He'd grab a tablet and a, a marker and assemble circles and ovals real quick, and I couldn't keep up, okay? It'd be Mickey Mouse. And I thought, slow down, I want to do that. And I saw Walter Lance, who created Woody Woodpecker, do the same thing, a little slower, but I couldn't keep up with him. But I saw when you, and I teach this to adults and kids, when you assemble convincingly uh, uh, different shapes and sizes of, of uh, circles and squares and what have you, you can pull off cartoon character. And that's all well and good. And I was teaching myself to draw at a very young age, like three or four. I had a pencil in my hand that I'd draw on everything. If you bump me up a little bit, my imagination reached nirvana when I think it was daily, I would watch The Adventures of Superman, which was the black and white TV show of the 50s. It still plays like four or five times every weekend. It does? Yeah. And I own every copy of it on DVD. And I would watch George Reeves tell his tales and give us, he was Superman, by the way, give us a morality play with a benchmark of, of, of behavior that I, I aspired to even as a little kid and as soon as that tv show would go off that day i put a towel in the back of my shirt and i'd go out to our little small little porch there at ninth and, and prospect and look and see the power and light building and i thought that was the daily planet and i thought dreams realized so the uh, the big epiphany for me which is greatly painful for any child is to know that that uh, we lost george reeves too and as of this morning, st people are still online saying it was a suicide, no, it was a hit job, no, no, no. Regardless, if we wanted to keep those stories going, then they had to be told by us. Now, the day after my seventh birthday, we had moved to Overland Park, which is all rural at that time. And I remember getting up and, and uh, again, buzzed from sugar and cake and presents and all that great stuff seven-year-old kids get. And my mom said, go out to the driveway and get the newspaper. That's your chore. I said, sure. I went out there and I saw a black and white photograph on the front page below the fold of George Reeves in a Superman suit. And I ran inside and I said, Mommy, Mommy, pop the string off this. What does it say? And she grabbed the paper and she went, and that's my popping noise. <laughs> she says, oh, Superman killed himself. So I was more than crestfallen. I was just as a child, like many children, just destroyed and deflated and I Walked back to my room, and my dad had uh, had little notepads laying around. He worked for the stars, so there was a lot of notepads and pencils and things, and I started drawing stick figures 
of Superman. And I never stopped. I never stopped. I never stopped. And I did it through high school, and I got into more comic books and cartoon characters and uh, comic strips. And I grew all that, and that became the artist in me that finally got a lot of freelance work from DC Comics and Marvel and Warners and Disney and stuff. And I thank God for those chances to work with those great folks and do everything, superheroes and ducks and bunnies and, and what have you. And then make that transition, you put your toe in the teacher's pool and you get asked to teach at the Westport School of Art or Shawnee Mission School District for gifted kids, it, realizing that really all the kids were gifted. They were gifted one way or the other. Or, or the Kansas City Art Institute, and I stayed there for years teaching comic book illustrations, cartooning, and sequential storytelling. So I would have the opportunity to work with people 17 to, no, I take that back, 16 to 70 on how to pursue those skills and go on and become comic book artists independently or with publishers or become storyboard artists for TV commercials and ad agencies or, or try to storyboard movies. And a lot of those people went on to fulfill those dreams too. So artist to teacher. And from that standpoint, I spent days in a corporate world where I could actually make my house payment. That was kind of a good thing in advertising and marketing. So if you think about Darren Stevens on Bewitched, it's like, well, I'm going to work today with a great big tablet and a felt tip marker. I'm going to rule the world. I worked to do that too. In the confines of doing that for well over 30 years, I, I grew my business sense with that. And in the heated bowels of a corporate meeting with people yelling and screaming, these figures and that figures, like the New York Stock Exchange at 23rd and Main. There's a company called Payless Cashways Building Materials, one of the places I work. $2.5 billion a year corporation, and we're, uh, we're working and we're talking to buyers and stuff in this big, hectic meeting, and a buddy of mine's working with me, and he said, are you writing these figures down? You have to write these figures down. You have 22 people depending on you to write these figures. I said, yes, yes, I'm writing these figures. And I automatically, this sounds goofy, started to write, Last night I dined with Frankenstein and Courier and Ives, discussing this and such and much how paltry were our lives. And it became a little two-page uh, um, story about values and people. It wrote itself. Okay, it's in my book, and I've recorded it too. And then from that, I, I went on to picking up other words and phrases and alliteration and, and these little stories and bits of silliness or, or seriousness, really, or satire. That's alliteration for you. Okay began to, to create themselves. And after a period of time of writing all this, I decided to publish my own book. And it was called Funny You Should Ask, uh, Musings in Verse for Better or dot, dot, dot. And a few people said, you know, we really liked that. We didn't know you could do that. And you've got a pretty decent voice because I've done some voice work. And they said, would you ever think about doing an audio version of it? And I thought, I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. So I took some of those pieces, but I never stopped writing. And I wrote and produced a double CD called um, Talking to Myself to You. And I wrote four or five songs on there, and I brought in guest vocal folks from around uh, the city here, and some in L.A. too. Uh, Kathy Garver that played Sissy on Family Affair. She and I are very close friends and have been for years and years. I spent some time out in L.A. working in movies and TV, and if I was good at it, I'd still be there. Uh, but... Uh, uh. She did some voice work for me, and, and so I've got a double album of, again, serious stuff, funny stuff, 
morality plays and stories and music. Some of this is on YouTube. So if you go into Rick Stacy, Rick is R-I-C-K, of course, S-T-A-S-I, Stacy, that's the Italian pronunciation and spelling, because I am. And uh, you can find some of that. And it just kept growing because every creative person must have an audience. And that's what I seek to do, as we all seek to do, take what you're doing and then share it with people. I taught at the Art Institute. Oh, I hit my microphone, and it hit back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> down, microphone, down. I taught that, that we should remember the three E's, to educate, to entertain, and evoke emotion. Okay, that's four E's. But that's why we do what we do when we as creators are preparing things to share. So uh, that's the genesis of all the things about me that I'm now sharing with you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned audiobooks there for a second. Should everyone do an audiobook? Some of the celebrities who uh, have done written books and done audiobooks, it, it loses something. Other people are wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Some people should probably not record their own thoughts because you you lose the theater of imagination when you, you know you have it when you're reading but when you hear somebody else do it if they don't do it to the level you want them to it takes away from it so it, it depends some people should some people shouldn't it's hard to say yeah well, speaking with Rick Stacy he's he's a renaissance man <laughs> thank <to> Maria. you <laughs> <But> thanks Maria <laughs> an artist author performer he's touched on a little bit of that when you do the art do, do you have to go to california can you send the art to them how does that work how difficult is that? oh let me tell you about the brick of that uh, glass ceiling there if you wanted to work for marvel comics and dc comics back in the 60s and 70s day after graduation i was 17 i left to go to new york never to return well i, I returned of course and I took kind of a, a, a crude portfolio up there because I've never had any coaching on por portfolios, you know. And I went to Marvel and I went to D.C. And I learned a lot about the business world and what really were the expectations and how to balance my budget because I was there for a few weeks during the summer and I came back just a, a about broke. But uh, um, I went to pursue that and I never gave up that dream of drawing for them the way I stayed in contact was every year there are a series of trade shows, comic cons. And I've been going to these things since 1970, okay? And uh, you stay in touch with these publishers, and it's like, you know, if you really want to do this, we're, we're headquartered in New York. You need to live in New York. Simply. Well, that's not going to happen. So as the doors open for more talented people to enter those companies, it was decided in the um, late 70s that, that they would allow trustworthy people to do the artwork and mail it to them. And so that ceiling was broken by the late local, very talented friend of mine, Steve Lytle. We lost him about a year ago to COVID, and we miss him greatly. And then I did that too and start sending artwork in, and uh, that started to work. And that's what carried so many people from outside the Bergs into the publishing in New York. And so many of us got to work through the mail long before there was anything electronic. 
That was a great break. Yeah. That yeah. was a great break. You got to do things. Uh, and I guess if you do it for one company, you get offers perhaps to do it for yes. other companies. Yeah. When you, when you go to Chicago Con, that was the big con for me because New York was, was too big and too expensive. But I'd go to Chicago Con every year for 28 years to break in, stay in, then see my buddies and get my assignments over all the years too and grow with those folk. And uh, um, from that standpoint, you could continue to grow your profession by seeing them every year at Chicago Con or other local cons too. So uh, that's how you did that. And that's how they grew confidence in you and you and them. Do people have to have an innate talent to draw? I mean, can you go into the many places where you teach and teach them something or do they have to have something there first? I, I think talent is such a, a subjective word. I think that desire, number one, and I think that is, is commingled and married to talent. And then you take that teeny, teeny little mustard seed there, and through teaching and exposure and, and learning, you grow that into, here's the word, craft. <laughs> and, and I don't mean like the macaroni and cheese, I mean craft. And then the more you grow and build and learn in your craft, the more opportunities you have to share that with the world. So, Does this translate very well, perhaps or perhaps not, over to, say, cartoons? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, um, you, you learn and you grow that tiny little mustard seed, and then you are then one of the uh, uh, those folks who are able to try to convince people to hire you to do these great things. So... Yeah. You know, I, I would do comic conventions, and because uh, many of them are outside of Kansas City, I would be a guest, and Steve Lytle would be a guest, and people would come up to Steve, I'm going to drop his name again, and say, uh, you're so lucky, you born with so much talent, look, you can do that, I, would, I don't have any talent. And Steve would look at them and say, you know, it, it's, it's the work, it's desire, therein lies that bud of talent, but... You hone the craft. You think about somebody that can imagine a, a sculpture from a large piece of stone, and you've got to go work and work and work and hope that you can create something in that sculpture that, and here's the operative word, is convincing creatively. So uh, uh, folks that can sit down at the piano and when they're 12 and play Beethoven or do other things that are so creative, and, and people say, you was lucky. You was born with talent, and I don't have no lot of talent. And I'm making fun of them in a way because it's kind of a, a, a simpleton approach to assessing what is really there in the way of hard work for that craft. So therein lies the, the great experience and exposure. When you're doing voices, and he also does voices, and he does he does them. He does, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You've done it again. <laughs> he does them professionally, so I'm reluctant to ask him to do voices. But Oh, no, a, ask all day. I there's just, a special <laughs> talent for that. Uh, other people, I think it was David Fry. Uh, I remember him. Before Rich Little, there was yep. David Fry. Right. And I remember him doing an interview once, and uh, he didn't. He didn't do the voices during the radio interview. He said, uh, uh, this is my profession, you know. He says, even when I see people recording during my stage show, uh, I ask them to turn off the machine because uh, wow, yeah. that's my hmm. bread, and, bread and butter. Yeah. But he was talking about that. He said he imagines the person or the character in his mind, and from there 
it comes out. Does that work for you? Yeah, I, it does, as a matter of fact. On some voice, some voices I can do and do very well and enough to annoy my wife. And, <laughs> and Mr. Magoo is one of them. And uh, some of them uh, I, I don't do well. But really what that means is I'm just, with my voice, a mimic. It's like a parrot. You, you hear something and you think, oh, oh, yeah, oh, I can do that. I can do... You're looking at me, I'm looking at your Pacino voice. And sometimes when I put my mind to it, ooh, it's convincing. <laughs> so it, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but I'm having fun in traffic by myself doing silly voices like that. Well, it keeps you sharp, though. Well, it keeps me sharp, I guess. It keeps me silly. I really have a good time doing Martin and Lewis in, in the same, you know, song together. And, and then the light turns green and I go, you know, so. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They were they were quite the partnership yeah. from, uh, at least from watching the film of the stage shows yeah. and uh, and the, the movies, of course, they were. And I guess personally, they had their difficulties. Well, but, I'd like everybody, but when we go to uh, to do impressions... And it's just really, I call it fun for one. I'm doing it for myself. We seem to capitalize on the caricature of their uh, um, their voice. It really is a caricature. And uh, uh, use that to kind of typify some humor and stuff too. So, And because of my generation, which may be your generation, when I do voices <laughs> now and, and people laugh, they go, I, don't know, I have no idea who that is. It's like, of course not. I do impressions of famous dead people. So, yeah, that's really what it is. Well, if you remember yeah. that person, yeah. uh, you still find that funny. You know, if you remember those people, they might live on. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, John Wayne, he just did Thank John you. Wayne. Thank <laughs> you. For God's sake, somebody say John Wayne. Wayne. <laughs> and John Wayne was very well known. He had a yeah. certain way of speaking. He, yeah. he had that drawl and the style. He was probably easy to do. There are probably people that aren't very easy to do at all. And then you don't do them. <laughs> no, our, 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 people will work at it. They'll do uh, uh, great impressions of, of people who aren't usually being done. But, you know, growing up in our era, we saw so many impressionists on the Ed Sullivan Show, who would come out and do convincing caricatures of so so many folks. So what we do is we do impressions of them doing that impression. You don't do Kirk Douglas. You do the impression of, of uh, somebody else doing Kirk Douglas, you know, and hopefully it's, uh, it keeps you popular at a party. Yeah, and, it, and it's You got to be popular at a party, man. It's a lot of fun to do. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it's harder to do the people nowadays, I think, because they don't have that style. No, who is there? I mean, there's no yeah. Cagneys. There's no, no you know, people that, that have those uh, uh, strange and exaggerated mannerisms and voices and stuff. No. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, speaking of, with Rick Stacy, uh, Renaissance man, according to Maria, and, and is really, does a lot of things. And we've covered the teaching and the comics and uh, all of that. Uh, I don't know. Do you do you do the color along with? I always had this question. Do you do the color along with the the drawing? Yes and no. In the original days, with the the, the uh, onslaught of popularity of comic books, and I'm going way back to the 30s, late 38, 39, Superman, and all the imitations that that boomed in that business, and and other funny characters, uh, ducks and bunnies and stuff too, joke comics too. In order to be uh, published with some kind of regularity, you would have Often, not all the time, you would have a penciler, then you'd have a 
pass that off to the inker because the penciler is drawing as fast as he can to meet deadline. And the inker is putting ink on those drawings because of the, the crudeness of printing the old printing ways on 30-pound newsprint at super speed. You couldn't hold the line weight unless you inked it. And then it would go to a colorist who would, would color it and then start cutting pieces of film uh-huh. to mold into black, cyan, magenta, and yellow and mix and match percentages on these films to have a press have a little bit of uh, 50 yellow, 10 red, 10 black is brown. And for flesh tone, uh, a light uh, Caucasian flesh tone would be like 30 yellow, 10 magenta. So so that's how that all was done. Now, when things change and we were able to do things electronically, then you can color your own work. I draw and color all the time for commissions. That's, That's what I do. And I do it old school. I use pencils and markers and ink, and I use bag after bag after bag of my collection of Prismacolor markers, Coptic markers, design markers, and I'm able to to blend certain tones to get a good shade of a flesh tone or a good shade of a sky. Or good. so I enjoy doing that too. So uh, it can be done now electronically too. You can color in Photoshop or, or so many different other coloring apps that are out there too. More opportunity is there now for people to. Um, grow their toolbox and have a good time. I only asked that because there was a man here in town and his name has escaped me, but I had him on one time uh, as an actor in a show. But he told me that uh, he colored Doonesbury. Sure. And uh, I guess uh, Universal was here in town at yeah. the time. Maybe they still yeah, are. Yeah, they still are. Yeah. Uh, I care. I think he lived in Mission. Now his name's going to escape me, too. I Is think it he... Don Carlton? Yes. Okay. That's, okay. that's and the, the winner. Okay, next question. Next category. <laughs> yeah, he. I think he inked and colored it, too. So, if memory yeah. serves so there are all kinds of jobs like yeah. that that you, you wouldn't think of. And hopefully that won't change. Uh, you could probably do things like that on a computer. But I don't think you should. Yeah, well, yeah I and. I understand. Now, some people work only electronically on a computer, but my thought is, is whatever tools you need to do your job, have fun with it, grow it, and explore it. And if it makes you feel more comfortable with your uh, uh, compositions and your storytellings and your, and your gigs, go for it. And I think there are many doors to creativity we have yet to open. Yeah, people... Don't think of jobs like that, yeah. but, but they're they're there. They're out there. And, sure. And, of course, Walt Disney didn't really start here. But he was was from Missouri, came sure. here, worked for the, the Star, I guess. The yeah. Star was the Star has been around in Star has been around since time. 1881. I'm third yeah. generation that came through there. And, and uh, I remember hearing the stories about Walt Disney when I was a little kid because, you know, Disney was an explosion of popularity on TV and was going to break ground on something called Disneyland. And people around the star, the morning paper is called the Times, the afternoon paper is called the Star, same place, you know, twice a day paper. But they would talk about the star was so cheap with their payroll that Disney lived in a house that had mice in it, and eventually he drew one. And, of course, that may be true or false, but, oh, yeah, look, looking back at Walt Disney – the major contributor to all this thought and creativity. Yeah. Motivation can come from many places. Yes. And let's just be glad that it does. Absolutely. Because we wouldn't have a lot of the things 
that we have now. We are almost to our half-hour break. Time goes so fast when you're having I fun. I know. I'm having a ball. <laughs> <laughs> but after the break, uh, Rick's going to come back. I have more things I want to cover with Rick. Uh, boy, I, I want to hear his interaction with uh, famous people. And I oh guess boy. Steve Allen would be the yeah, one that comes guy. to mind first. He was so creative yes. and uh, so talented, Absolutely. really. And he's uh, a renaissance man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wrote that in my book about him, as a matter of fact. Yeah. He's, uh, a matter of fact, I dedicated the two books that I have written to him primarily and gave mention of him in my liner notes to the double album I did too. So, really, there's stories there, and we'll come back for those. Sure, and are these books available? We can do the details on that. If people, if we've sparked an interest oh, in someone. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. great. Absolutely, yeah. Great to hear that. We're here with Rick Stacy. After our break, we'll come back. We're going to hear more. Boy, there's, there's a lot here. Uh, <laughs> I can stay. <laughs> I can stay. Good. Glad you're <laughs> more, much more when we return. Well, welcome back to the Arts Magazine Show right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, your community radio station. Right here in Kansas City, I'm Michael Hogue, your host. We're having a great time today talking with Rick Stacy, a Renaissance man, of course. He's, a, he's an artist, an author, a performer has written books, and, you know, it's it's only fair to ask him, of the books he's written, where can these books be obtained by members of the audience? Well, funny you should ask. So, <laughs> matter of fact, that's the name of the first book is Funny You Should Ask. Uh, anybody that's interested in this bit of uh, wild and crazy stuff that I do can contact me on Facebook and drop me a PM, and you can find me, uh, my email address is R-S-T-A-S-I at kc.rr.com and uh, you can reach me there and uh, what are the ways I, I'm trying to figure any other ways maybe a rock through the window no don't do that that, <laughs> that would make all state very unhappy but uh, get a hold of me um, online or through email and uh, see if uh, any of this strikes your fancy and if it does we'll strike back so yeah you write books I guess because you have more you want to say than you could say verbally. Yeah, I, I do. And, and because uh, I have a dear friend who's an author published nationally and does the book tours and stuff. And she said, you're a cheap play on words guy. And I said, well, alliteration and rhyming never hurt anybody. But this that's how this all happens. And to say that I'm great, some great studied author of great artists and writers and poets, no, it just came out. And it's kind of fun, but it's in earnest, and it's something that every artist has to have, every author has to have a, an audience, so off we go. These are the book titles that at least I've written down. There may be more. Letters from Exodus. Letters from the Exodus is my most recent book, and my last one probably. Uh, oh, don't say that. I know I shouldn't, but I put everything <laughs> into this, and quite honestly, that's why there's not a big push to put it in bookstores or stuff like that. I'll take it to the shows and the reads I do. But it is a pound and a half. It is 320 pages. I'm going to hold it up for your viewers at home. This is a big book. I mean, it's a big, thick, heavy book. And it's my leave behind in life. So maybe I'll do something else later. I've written some songs since then. But, uh, uh, yeah, Letters from the Exodus. Funny you should ask. He, yes. he mentioned that. Talking to myself to you, he's that's, mentioned that. That's the double uh, audio CD with original music and guest voices on there with me. I mentioned Kathy Garver last hour, Bruce Jones, April Campbell Jones, um, Teresa Zirkel, and uh, Julia Jones in town here. And these are wonderful, talented people 
that uh, that work with me on the voices. I must say, in, in my book, uh, Letters from the Exodus, I have my artwork in there. I, I didn't do comic stuff. I did graphic design. I did pencil portraits. I did crazy stuff. And this is fully il- illustrated throughout. I also am very good friends with Michael McQuarrie. I don't know if you know him here in town. Yes. Is he something? Yes, he's something. And uh, I actually purchased illustrations from him to include in this book because he's just great. And, and we're fast friends. I love the guy. So some of his work, Gloria Morgison is a local artist, uh, to, local to Kansas City. She moved to outside the Ozarks now. And Gloria and I have been joined in spirit creatively uh, through thick and thin since seventh grade. And Gloria, wow. Gloria has pieces in there too. So when I say this is my leave behind, um, gathering my friends together too to participate with their expressions of creativity too. So their illustrations are in here. So, yeah. Well, what are the that's see that's one of the benefits of this business. And yes, uh, I name drop as much as anybody yes. does. But uh, you get to meet famous people. Yes, you do, okay. and that's that's so rewarding to touch the hem of their garments. Yeah. And you, have them not call security. That's you know? right. Well, you are very much like, and I, I hate to do comparisons, but uh, Steve Allen in many ways. Steve, thank you. And I'll, I'll embrace that because Steve Allen is uh, probably 90% of why I'm here on the ra- talking on the radio. He started out at WLS Radio in Chicago. WLS was world's largest store. That's when Sears Roebuck and Company owned that station. He was a kid. He was a runaway from home, a very talented guy. But his broadcasting began there, his entry into comedy and radio and then into TV and the true Renaissance man that he is as an author, as a songwriter, writing 8,500 songs that were in the Guinness Book of World Records. Um, The fact that he is the, we have to watch this term, the originator of The Tonight Show. He's a playwright, he is an activist, and just the nicest guy. I, I met him, and I'm so blessed to, to be uh, in that last gathering that he had before his untimely demise. Yeah, that was unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, I heard him do an interview one time where he said he kept a portable tape recorder at bedside, his, his wife, Jane, probably yeah, she's, didn't care for that. Yeah, right. <laughs> but he said, I would often dream things, and uh, it was convenient because I could just pick up the recorder and say yeah. something into the recorder, whatever thoughts I had had. He goes, sometimes it made no sense in the morning. Sometimes it did. Yes. Sometimes yeah, it yeah. made for a good song. Yeah. And <laughs> it makes you wonder where these ideas come from, and as long as you are able to find the muse and then embrace this ethereal steam of creativity and then put it on paper, if you can, and if it translates, well, that's a good thing. That's where this comes from. He's read many books as well. I bought one once called How to Be Funny. I don't know if it helped. I've got it. I've got it. And you did, you've done well with that, too. Well, yeah. thank, thank you very much. But it's, the story of you getting to meet Steve Allen is very interesting. So I, I would like you to do that. Steve Allen is my inspiration since my boyhood. I was uh, in, in grade school, and I had a lovely, dear old nun come up to me in probably third grade. And she'd say, young man. You get into that library right now, and you pick a real book to do a book report about. Because she knew I was reading comic books all the time. And I thought, okay, I'll give into this. And I, I zipped through there. I went to the A shelf, and I found Steve Allen, who I stay up late at night, much to my parents' chagrin, when they found out, and watched Steve Allen nightly and absorb all I could from him. 
And Steve Allen's biography was on that shelf, a tattered paperback called Mark It and Strike It. And it's his autobiography. And I read it. And I read it. And I read and I read. And then I started reading his other books, uh, uh, his poetry books. The only reason I started thinking there was any chance for me to approach communicating in verse. And his book was called Rye on the Rocks. And I remember poems from there that I read when I was probably six, no, no, oh, older, eight, nine, ten years old. And then I read Funny Men, and Funny Men too, then Funny Men and Women, then Funny People. And all the books I could absorb of Steve Allen's while I'm watching him and watching his career, he inspired me to keep pursuing the things I wanted to do, part uh, um, as a thespian a little bit and part as class clown, at which I was too. But I grew up in such great uh, adoration of this person that if you snap yourself back to probably 2000, my wife calls me at work and says, hey, Steve Allen's going to be at the lead center tonight. It's like, huh? I'm working out in Lee Summit. And she goes, yeah, yeah, you got to go. It's like, can you go? And she goes, no, I got to work late. And my kids were teenagers, and they wanted to go nowhere with me. So I thought, <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know if I can get there at time. I don't know if I can afford it. She goes, just go. And so I hopped on the phone, and I called the lead center. I said, I think Steve Allen's going to be there tonight. And they said, yes, he's doing his farewell tour, Memories for the Tonight Show. You know, he's like 80-something, I think. And they said, yes. I said, I bet you don't have any seats. And they said, how many do you want? And I said, one. And they said, 20 bucks. And I thought, okay, where is it? And, and they said, where do you want to sit? And I said, oh, like row two middle? And they said, sure. And so I said, book me for one. I'm coming up now to see the Steve Allen show. So I... I drove up from Lee Summit to Lawrence and uh, got inside, and um, I saw that the MC for this was Marilyn May. So I'm getting my seat. I'm in my little, you know, uh, white shirt and, and, and powder blue sweater. I look like Ward Cleaver's younger brother. And as I'm taking my seat, I see uh, Marilyn May, and I said, I'm really a fan of your work. And she's, that's great. That's good. I'm going to be emceeing the show tonight. Steve Allen discovered me, not Johnny Carson. People think Johnny Carson. And she said, I'd be interested to see what you think of the show. So I sat there, heart all aflutter, and Steve Allen, who is a man and legend, uh, came out on stage dealing with some sciatic because of his age, sat down and memorized us all for a longest time talking about his career and The Tonight Show and the great people he brought into The Tonight Show that became big stars, Tom Poston, Don Knotts. Um, uh, Bill, Louis, Bill, Louis Knight? Yes, yes, yeah, Louis Knight, Bill Dana, uh, Molly B., and uh, on and on. And there was an intermission, and I thought, I've got to get up get a drink of water. And when I did, Marilyn May caught me, and she said, you enjoying the show? And I said, yeah. And she goes, what is your name? And I told her. And she said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a graphic designer and marketing and an illustrator. And she said, do you want to do my next album cover? And I said, sure. Yeah, just like that. And uh, I said, let me get a pencil and paper, write your number down. I'm not going to put her number out right now, but she said, are you Italian? And I said, yeah. And she goes, I'm a woman. You'll never forget my number. And she gave it to me. And to this day, I've never forgotten that number. But it stays confidential now. Anyway, she sat me down for the second half of the show, and Steve Allen played music and did another hour of just heavenly stuff. And at the end of it, everybody left except me. And I sat there, and I thought, I'm going to soak this all in, and I'm going to see if I can pursue that old uh, tradition of going to the stage door with my program, shaking hands with this guy, having him sign my my uh, uh, program. And... Uh, 
I went to the stage door and I waited the longest time and I felt kind of foolish. And finally a, a guy guard comes out and he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm waiting. He goes, he's at a private party. He's not coming out here anyway. He might as well go. I thought, okay. So I decided, decided to wait for a few more minutes and I thought, what the heck? And he comes back out and he said, he's at a private party, sir, and he's not coming out here. So I hope you had a good time. I thought, okay, I'm going to leave. Because I can hear my wife's voice in my head saying, you've had your fun, come home. And I thought, I'll wait five more minutes or so. And the guy came back out again. And he said, are you still here? And I said, yeah. And he said, come on back. So I don't know if Marilyn May noticed that I was there or there was mention of anything. But uh, she walked me back into the private party. The guard did, rather. And Marilyn May said, oh, here's my friend Rick Stacy that's designing my next album cover for me. And I thought, Cool. And she led me over, introduced me to Steve Allen, who was sitting in a chair. And I was able to give him probably 45 minutes nonstop of memories and adulation. And because he was sitting down, because of sciatic, and I was standing there, I find myself down on one knee talking to him. And I'm quoting his poetry, and I'm quoting things from the show, and I'm quoting, dig this, that he at NBC shared the same commissary as the DC Comics folks. Oh, that was a great coincidence. Yes, and so my old editor, who is uh, working at uh, DC, Julia Schwartz, who's long since passed away, is on the escalator going down with Steve Allen to the commissary. And he said, and I'm gonna do Julie's voice, great guy from the Bronx, he said, Steve, you look just like Cluck Kent. Cluck, C-L-U-K, you look just like Cluck Kent. I'm putting you in the comics. And he said, okay. Steve Allen was a big Superman fan too. So there's a collection of uh, Superman dailies that Superman, uh, uh, Steve Allen disguises himself uh, as Superman. And then he plays the part of Clark Kent and Clark plays Superman. All this crazy wild stuff. But that was another uh, touch that uh, in conversation Steve was tickled by. To make a long story short, which I'm not good at, <laughs> at the end of the conversation, he rose up and we shook hands. And I thought I touched the the you know the hem of the greatest person ever walked the face of the earth creative, creatively and a real Renaissance guy. As he walked away, he turned back around. And he says, "Come here." And I said, "He said, well, sir." And I said, "Yeah." And he says, "Come here. What's your address and your phone number?" And I thought, "Here." And I wrote it and I gave it to him. This was a Tuesday. On Saturday, my wife and I walked out to the big community mailbox, and we opened it up, and there's a great big box in there from him. It is four or five of his books that he signed to me on the inside, and on the outside, there's a yellow post-it that says, To Rick. And the handwriting was in kind of old grandpa handwriting, you know, kind of wiggly. I thought, wow, this is something. And he made for me, or his people made for me, homemade cassettes, like nine of them, of his music. Very homemade. Partial songs, bits and pieces, some some duplicated on the cassettes, and uh, took those, and he wrote me a very dear letter that is in my office at home framed, talking about what he's saying is, I can't get my head around you. I never knew I made that big of an impression on anybody to that extent, but I remember when I was a kid going to see performances and being in awe of the performers at that time. Uh, accept these gifts, my best to you and your family. And that was October of 2000, early in the October 4th, I think. Well, when he was taking his grandkids around on Halloween, October 31st, he came home, had some chest pains, and passed away. Ah. So this was uh, uh, all the more important 
just to, to have this from him that he had that recollection that uh-huh. how do you do this how do i get my head around this and maybe it's like when i was a kid um some things are just supposed to happen yeah and, and you have to come to that conclusion yeah, and i couldn't be any more thankful and i know i probably talked a mile a minute about this but this is a the life moment for me in this stead uh, comparable to nothing else so uh yeah steve ellen yeah uh i love you and i owe you thanks yeah yeah very creative man wrote books oh, what was the one the one big song he had lots of songs but this he had eight thousand five eight thousand five. this could be the start of something big you're walking along his, someplace yeah. and counting your money yeah that was his theme song and uh uh that and so many other songs i believe he wrote the score for picnic and uh really i yeah, didn't know that and there's a there's other songs that are escaping me now because out of 8,500, and it, maybe they're not all winners, but they're all his. So Songs, yeah. books, uh, great as a performer as well. It, it did. Plays, play, he was a playwright. He was, uh, uh, what What hasn't he done? What Didn't he innovate the man on the street? That was, his, yeah. that was his thing. And he did the man on the street. He has fedora on and a little press tag in the hat walking around the microphone. When uh, I got home that one day, we picked up this big package from him and looked at it all. I told my wife, Sharon, I said, he loves Superman. So I went upstairs and I did this great flying Superman, posing like this now, with Steve as the man on the street on his shoulders, holding on his hat with a microphone. And uh, Sharon said, that looks really good, all color, just beautiful stuff. And uh, she said, are you going to take that to FedEx tomorrow? And I said, no, I'm going to hold on to it one more day and do some erasures and stuff. There's some pencil lines there. The next day he died. So never miss the chance to do something and think you're going to put it off to tomorrow. Marilyn May took that illustration to Steve Allen's memorial and gave it to uh, Jane Meadows, his wife. Uh So, Yeah. Yeah, well, Marilyn talks very glowingly about him as well. She she didn't get into how— he discovered her, but uh, yeah. but he did, yep. and she was yeah. on there first. Yeah. She she did tell the story about flying back and forth. Apparently, she still flew back to the the Ralph Gaines restaurant where yeah. she was performing. Yeah. So yeah. she'd be on the on the Tonight Show with Steve Allen, and then fly back and do late that night. Uh, the she'd colony be at, she'd be at the Colony Steakhouse, yeah. and um, she was with the Sammy Tucker Trio. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Those are those days in Kansas City. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she speaks about it, too. And I heard an interview with Don Knotts. And he credited with Steve putting his – the nervous man. Yeah, the nervous guy. He said yeah. – he told the interviewer, I'm sort of really like that. And Steve incorporated that into the bit, yeah. which yeah. Uh, made Don famous. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was way before he became Barney Fife. It was like, uh, pardon me, sir, are you nervous? And Don Knotts would go, nope, nope, nope. Yeah. <laughs> and his body language and his expre- facial expressions were just priceless. Yeah, he knew how to how to discover talent. Yeah, I, absolutely, I think. absolutely. And, and uh, he had the uh, you know the platform to to put them on and show sure. them in their best way. Sure, he was innovative absolutely. in that way. Yeah, you've met another. I've met other people too. Uh, your I thought your Loretta Swit story was kind of cute too. Oh my gosh, Loretta Swit! I was uh, as I mentioned in the the first half. I was out in L.A. doing TV and movies uh, back in the early two thousands. And like I, I'll tell you the truth, if I was good at it, I'd still be there. However. During that period, we went to a private screening of uh, Hollywoodland. 
Okay. Went to Hollywoodland, and that was Ben Affleck's treatment of the George Reeves. Coming. Oh, yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah. And in this screening, we were all in a little shopping mall unfolding our little chairs because this was a very, very rough, rough cut. And I saw that I, I really appreciated Ben Affleck's take. He played George Reeves, as a matter of fact, on this. Was it suicide? Was it murder? At the end of this, we were all whisked away to um, Paula Silver's home in Malibu, and she has a, a high-rise, and we had a roof party on the roof. And I thought, hmm, Kansas City boy up here, kibitzing with all these good people on the roof in Malibu, and we're, I'm going through the little uh, uh, hors d'oeuvres line, and I've got my little celeries and this and that. And I, as I go to the end, I, I hear some uh, a woman's voice across uh, from the table, and she's singing, Nobody Grieves for George Reeves. I looked up. She goes, you know, that was a pop song after he died. And I said, no. She goes, yeah, look it up. It was a song. And I looked at her, and uh, it was Loretta Sweat. I said, hi. And she said, hi. And she noticed I had my Superman watch on. Which you do now. Yeah. And, and the shirt. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, I just I can't let it go. And, and she'll tell you why. And uh, she said, did you enjoy the movie? Why are you here? Why do you have that uh, watch on and stuff? And I told her about uh, being the boy I was, losing George Reeves, how it's impacted me. I'm just one of those Hollywood land kids, if you ever see how we were just decimated when we lost him as children. And she said, so you're wearing that watch? And you're, I told her I worked in comics. and draw, You draw still? I said, yeah, I'm doing all that kind of stuff. She was Oh, my goodness. And she comes around the corner of that table, and she kisses me. When Hot Lips Houlihan kisses you, you stay kissed. And I said, thank you. What was that for? And she said, oh, my boy, you're still in therapy <laughs> over the loss of George Reeves. And I thought, she's right. I am. I felt there was a breakthrough or something, and that, that I had come so far. But she hit the nail on the head. By the way, that story's on my website, too, and she did that. And... Uh, yeah, that's, I really think that's why I'm still to this day. I'm sitting across from you, got the watch on, got a George Reeves shirt on under my flannels here, but it just stays with me, and I've accepted who I am. Yeah, well, we all have to do that. At some point, yes. I want to thank you so much. We've nearly talked ourselves out of time here I'll on the tell you. Magazine Show. We could do it. I could do another hour easily. Oh, I would be happy to. I was the, vaccinated the, with phonograph needles. But the so. jazz guy wouldn't appreciate it. Oh, no. You can get a hold of Rick. Well, I shouldn't put it that way. You can oh, learn, go ahead. You can learn more about Rick at Rick Stacy. It's S-T-A-S-I dot com. Yep. R-I-C-K-S-T-A-S-I dot com on his website and can learn about uh, the the books yeah. and all that and uh, oh next time I want to learn about uh, Ninth Street Theater that's oh, on YouTube oh my gosh yeah it's yes. on YouTube you can go yeah. there and watch him yes. perform on YouTube as well uh, but it was great having you oh and my pleasure thank you so much Michael for having me this is a ball a wealth of knowledge and uh, experience as well and uh, you know. As and it's I, absolutely free, you know. So. <laughs> As I said earlier, sometimes coincidences are meant to happen. I believe so. And I think that uh, I hear that a lot from, from people yeah. uh, in the public eye especially. Uh, little things can make big changes in what happens. And uh, uh, from what you've said today, I think that's happened uh, to you too. Not that I you're not so. very talented, you're, but there's a lot of people very talented that never, uh, never get an opportunity. We're all here because of other people. Yeah. 
is the well they say that the the best quarterback in the nfl is patrick mahomes and he probably is but how do we know that there isn't some gentleman over in sure. africa that's right <laughs> that wouldn't be yeah. much better yeah. were he to have the opportunity we don't absolutely. know absolutely absolutely in that respect we're very lucky Amen. to be where we are so great to have you today thanks for having me on the arts magazine show the Jazz Insider dub, the new Jazz Insider dub is next, and he has some great jazz to play for you. In true KKFI tradition, we'll have jazz from 1 to 3. We'll have the blues from 3 to 6 right here on your community radio station, 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City's community radio. Thank Rick once again. Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the next time we see each other at that cross in the road, wherever that happens to be, I'm Michael Hoke. We'll see you.